as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Um, we are in week four of our series, which is titled Elect Exile, and that's um, us walking through uh, one of the letters that Peter wrote uh, to the churches around what is now uh, modern-day um, Turkey. Uh, so Peter writes to these Christians, and he wants to remind them of their identity in Jesus, in other words, who they are uh, in Jesus. And he uses this word uh, in chapter 1, verses 1, elect exiles, the ones chosen by God and the ones living in a strange world. And that's what we saw in the first week, if you are not with us, uh, we saw that uh, God um, causes um, that the church throughout the church history, um, the church as we know it has not always been like that. Uh, Christians have been pushed to the margins of society uh, and often persecuted, uh, but God has called them that wherever they are, they ought to live and think of themselves uh, as elect exile, ones who are living in a strange World And this new identity would shape the way in which they view the world uh, around them. So that was the first week. The second week, which I think I found that talk very challenging, um, uh, Reggie uh, opened God's word uh, to us. Uh, and he reminded us that this new identity uh, helps us and anchors us when we go through difficulties. Uh, that the thing that would shake our hope uh, in this world uh, would be suffering. So in other words, whenever we go through suffering, uh, Peter reminds his Christians that they have an identity that can stand against Suffering, And then last week, we saw that God, um, not only has he given Christians this identity as elect exiles, uh, but he's called them to, uh, to live with ready minds, minds that are ready to live for God in the world that he has placed them uh, in, to live holy lives because the God who calls them uh, is holy. Uh, so that's what we've seen so far, uh, Peter unpacking to this Christians, some of whom were going through persecution, their identity, so that they would find something to root their lives in uh, wherever and whatever happens uh, to them. Uh, so this evening, more than 
before we continuing uh, and we thinking about what it means for us to live as elect exiles uh, in this world that God has placed us in. Uh, thank you, Leah, for reading for us those um, couple of verses. We're going to uh, get into them, uh, and we're going to be focusing on what is our title this evening? Living as rebels uh, with a cause. How do we live in the world that God uh, has placed us? Now, I know I've prayed, but I'm going to pray again that God will help you and help me as we look at his word. So why don't you bow your heads as I do so? Father, once again, uh, your grace is sufficient. Once again, you are the ruler of your church. Once again, your word is opened. We pray for the non-believer that they would be challenged with the message of the gospel. Uh, we pray that uh, your word would be winsome uh, and not be unnecessarily offensive. We pray for the Christian Lord that you would instill in us this bravery and this courage to live in the world uh, that you have placed us uh, and to live godly lives wherever we, you have placed us uh, as instruments of your mercy. I do pray that you may use us uh, in this life uh, as we prepare for our home, uh, which is to be found with you. So illumine our hearts, we pray, uh, through Christ's name. Amen. I'm kind of high on coffee, so if, I'm, if I get too excited, just uh, stay with me, okay? Amen? <laughs> so 12 years ago, I stepped into the shores of Johannesburg uh, with my passport in hand and a suitcase on my left. I came to Johannesburg, and for the first time, I experienced a mugging, uh, and that was my initiation into the Josie life. Fresh out of Rustenburg, I came to, uh, to a college called the Johannesburg Bible College. And I must say that this college is the thing that has shaped my understanding of the Christian faith and how a Christian engages uh, with society, or rather how the church engages with society. Uh, and we did a lot of things. We uh, would tour Joburg and look at um, why things were the way they were. Uh, we would go to Christian conferences um, and I still remember this one Christian conference um, about church and church leadership. Uh, I still remember we were streaming this video of uh, leaders from uh, around the world. Uh, and this one guy uh, gave this talk that I'll never forget. And one of the things that he said was this, that the local church is the hope of the world. Uh, he said it with passion. The local church is the hope of the world. Um, and... I must say that I've never forget, uh, forgotten that, even 12 years uh, into my Christian walk. I wonder what you think of that statement. The local church is the hope of the world. Quite a, quite a brave statement, isn't it? Um, think about your, your view of the church. Is that how, is that how you view the church? Um, think about yourself within the church community. Perhaps you are a Christian uh, and you go to Bible study, you're part of a, uh, a Christian network, you come to Christ Church Midland. Do you think of the church as the hope of the world, the local church, the gathered community uh, of believers? Do you often think about it as uh, the most amazing thing uh, that were to happen uh, uh, to this world? I think when I heard the statement, the reason I never forgot it is because it stirred something in my heart. I began to see what God was doing was bigger than 
uh, who I am. Uh, and I wanted to be a part of it. Um, and I hope that somebody would want to be a part of it uh, after this uh, this evening, because as we unpack our passage this evening, we're going to see something of the beauty of what God is doing in and through the local church. So God calls the elect exile. We tend to think of ourselves as individuals, uh, but we'll see that in our passage, God actually sees us as a collective, and God actually has a plan for this local church. Uh, God has given them an identity that is beyond what you and I sometimes think of. Have a look at verse 9 with me, chapter 2, verse 9. This is how Peter describes the Christians living in and around modern-day Turkey. But you, the Christian, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Listen to this purple statement of why the church um, and this royal nation exists. That you may proclaim uh, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a great way to describe and define what the church is. What a great way to describe what these elect exiles um, are, or rather who they are in Jesus Christ. Now, if you uh, missed, you might have missed what uh, Peter is saying there because he uses Old Testament temple language to describe these Christians. But basically at the core of what he's saying is that if God were an artist, uh, if God were an artist, he would use the local church as the best piece um, ever. So I know you look at somebody next to you and you think, no ways, that can't be. Uh, not this, guys. Um, if... Think of it as a, f- a football club, any other football club apart from Pirates, like winning, winning football clubs. If God was a, a proper, uh, like Mourinho type of uh, um, coach, uh, he would choose his ultimate 11. The best team ever would be the local church. And I know when you hear the statement, one person, there's two people in this room. One who think, of course, man. Like, who, why would he not choose me? Um, I'm part of the starting 11. I shouldn't be on the bench. I deserve to be on the starting lineup. When you hear things like, I'm the chosen race, I'm the royal priesthood, you're like, amen. That should be me. I deserve uh, to be part of the team. But there are some of us who think, man, like, that is, like, I think I'm pathetic uh, to even be on the starting lineup. And this, tonight's, passage uh, hopefully would get us to the middle ground where we think soberly about why God would put us in the starting 11. So if he was a coach, he would put us there. Uh, the ultimate 11, the best squad ever. But the, the, the best picture that he uses here is that of a building. Um, so if God was a master architect or a master builder, then the local church, the community of gathered saints, would be the best picture, or rather the best building, that God has ever built. And I'm going to show you uh, what I mean by that. But basically, those uh, few words describe that God chooses the church as his special possession, and he chooses it to display to the world that look at how awesome I am. Let me just picture that for a minute with me. 
I like to always picture things. I picture God sitting there in heaven for all of eternity, chilling there, enjoying himself. He did not need anything. He did not need to create. Yet he, he looked at himself and said, man, I am awesome. I, I gotta create uh, something to share my awesomeness. Uh, and this very creation rebels against him. And he kind of looks at himself in the mirror once again, flexes his muscles and says, I'm a great God. I want to show to the world uh, how awesome I am. Now he can choose just about any institution uh, to display the wonder um, of his greatness. But yet he chooses uh, the local church, uh, as a place and a, a rather an institution, uh, a community of people uh, who are going to display uh, his, uh, his, uh, his awesomeness. Uh, so as we get into our passage, I'm going to show you um, where I got that, uh, but I'm going to jump around. Before I do that, let me, let's get into the land and get a feel for the land. I just want to give you a structure of uh, the passage here and what Peter is saying to these Christians. Um, chapter 2, if you are with me, uh, please say amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, you are probably on uh, chapter, rather, page 100 and... <laughs> it's 1015, right? Yes. <laughs> that one is... <laughs> I had a Zuma moment. My coffee brain went ahead of me. We are in page 1014. Are you with me there? Amen. Amen. Uh, so the structure of the passage is this. Um, chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. Um, Peter gives these Christians uh, an identity, or rather he tells them about the Jesus that they've come to believe in, uh, and he explains to them that this Jesus is like a living stone um, in this wonderful building that God is building. In fact, in, uh, in the later chapters, he describes him as the cornerstone. In the ancient world, if you build houses, uh, the cornerstone was the key stone, rather the, or rather the foundation uh, upon which you build the house. Uh, so he explains to them uh, that the Jesus they, they've come to believe as you come to him, in other words, if you have a relationship with him, uh, this Jesus, who is a living stone, that's a weird way of speaking, right? Um, a stone is something that has no life, but Jesus is the living stone, uh, possibly referring to the fact that he's alive because of his resurrection. Uh, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stone, are being built up as a spiritual house. So that's what we see in verses 4 and 5. That Paul, rather Peter, describes to these Christians uh, that God is doing something. God is building something magnificent. And that at the, at the foundation of it is Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian... Well, you, like Jesus Christ, are a living stone that is being used to build this magnificent uh, building. Then he continues to say in verse 6 to 8 that uh, in history people have responded differently to this um, living stone, as he calls it. Um, the people have responded differently to God's Messiah, to Jesus Christ. Some have accepted him, uh, some have rejected him. Those who have rejected him have been doomed. Those who have accepted him um, are now what is called the church. And he wants to encourage them uh, that they are the ones that are blessed in this hostile world. That is verse 6 
to 8. Uh, verse 9 to 10, he gives these um, uh, this believers uh, this, uh, their identity uh, as elect exiles. He wants to remind them that they are now, like the old temple, a place where uh, people can come to fellowship with God. Uh, so in the olden days, uh, if you wanted to know God, uh, well, that happened in the temple. Uh, there were so many layers in the temple, uh, one which is called the Holy of Holies. Nobody could go in there apart from the high priest, and they would go in uh, through sacrifices, and they would go in there once a year. Uh, and then you had uh, a place that was accessed by Jews, and then outside you had uh, a place where Gentiles, that you and I, uh, could come see the beauty of this uh, amazing God uh, of Israel. But he wants to remind the Christians that they have now become this magnificent temple. And not only that, they've become this magnificent priesthood. In other words, the people who connect other people to God. They have direct access to God uh, and they connect others to God. Are you guys still with me? Amen. Uh, so that is uh, verses nine, uh, verses nine to ten. He gives them uh, their identity, and if you've missed what I said, we're going to come look at it again. Verses eleven to twelve, he gives them a charge um, and an order. This because of because this is who you are. You ought to live this way. Because this is who you are, you ought to live this way. Okay, so that's just. Uh, to give you a brief um, uh, overview of where we're going. Four to five, uh, living stones. Uh, six to eight, how we respond to this living stone. Uh, nine to ten, the identity of Christians. Eleven to twelve, how Christians should live uh, in the world where God has placed them. Amen. What we're going to see, uh, we're going to look at this passage as a magnificent building. Uh, we're going to see that the church, uh, and we're not referring to brick and mortar, we're referring to people, that is you and I, people who've turned to a relationship with God, uh, that in the eyes of God, the local church is the greatest building project ever. Second thing that we're going to see is that in the human eye, uh, it doesn't always look as impressive. It doesn't always look impressive. The third thing that we're going to see is that uh, you and I should see things the way God sees them. Uh, so we should look at the church the way God looks at the church. We should look at Christians within the church the way God uh, looks at them. So in the eyes of, the, of, the, of God, the local church is the greatest building project. Come with me to chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, and five. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, uh, chosen and precious. So he's referring to Jesus here, that in the sight of God, he's chosen and precious. You yourself referring to the Christians, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And notice again the term there that he uses, 
of a building. Notice that there's two kinds of uh, builders there. One is God, uh, and the other one is is men, or, or rather people. Uh, God, in his amazing wisdom, chooses Jesus Christ as a chosen stone. Uh, so God uh, chooses Jesus uh, as the foundation upon which uh, he would build his church. Uh, yet men choose to reject uh, this um, uh, this foundation. They choose to see Christ as unfit uh, to build uh, one of God's most amazing building. Uh, so that's the kind of picture that we see here, uh, that in the sight of God, Christ is the most precious thing uh, that were to ever happen. Yet in the sight of the world, uh, Christ is the most despicable thing uh, that were to uh, ever happen um, to our world. So despicable that uh, that we read in the gospel message as Peter goes out to preach the gospel, he says that you guys got up together, ganged up together, and chose to rebel against uh, God's Christ. You chose to rebel against Christ. And how did people do that? Well, they uh, rejected him as king and crucified him on the cross. Yet God raised him uh, to life, uh, Peter uh, pronounces uh, in this gospel. So you and I, um, according to us, we would not have Jesus as the foundation structure of building the church. To put it in simpler terms, if you and I were trying to put all our chips in and try to build our lives, we would not choose Christ as the foundation of our lives. We would not choose the cross as a foundation of our lives. But God, in his amazing mercy, uh, in his amazing wisdom, uh, chooses Christ and chooses the way of the cross as the foundation and as the founding structure um, of the church. Uh, so God calls these Christians living stones built up uh, upon the ultimate living stone, uh, which is Jesus. Verse 9, uh, again he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Uh, now this language uh, would ring to us um, this picture of the exile, a uh, picture of God choosing a ridiculous people called uh, the Israelites, um, you remember the story that as they go back and forth to Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh looks at them and he thinks, man, what a pathetic people. But God shows up uh, in his uh, mighty power, in his mighty hand, and he rescues these people out of Egypt. And listen to these words from Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The, these are the words that you shall speak to the nation of Israel. So notice what happens there. God uses uh, the cross as a place of redemption, as a place uh, where he buys people from darkness into his marvelous light, and he uses those same people to proclaim uh, his goodness. Uh, so the Israelites were to be a representation of the mercy of God to the nation. God rescued them, not because of them, uh, but because of him. 
because of his greatness. Verse 10 uh, would uh, speak of these Christians that once he would remind them, once you were not a people, these are the living stones, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, another picture that we see in the Old Testament, the picture of God's people uh, as um, idolatrous people, uh, this uh, kind of language you pick up in the book of Hosea. Now, this is one of the most um, graphic books that depict human nature outside of a relationship uh, with God. Uh, Hosea is told as a prophet to go marry an adulterous woman. Um, I struggle to use the word whore in the pulpit, but that is the strength of the word that he uses. If you were to read the Soto Bible, I can't even say that word. It is... It is horrific, and it is a picture of Israel that has rebelled against God Almighty. Uh, he calls them prostitutes, uh, and we see this marriage unraveling between Hosea the prophet and God's people. Um, and God uh, gives, um, calls Hosea to give the, the kids that are born from that marriage different names. One of them is Loru, Loruhama. One of them is Lo-Ami. Lo-Ruhama means no mercy. Um, and Lo-Ami means not my people. If he was a Twana guy, uh, maybe they, he would be called Hasiwame. Not, not my child. This is not my child. These are the kind of people that God, um, uh, that God is uh, speaking to. Verse 6 of chapter 1 in Hosea. She that is Goma conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name no mercy, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will save them not by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Verse 8, When she had wind no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. One of the most horrific things God would ever say to us, I don't know you, you're not my people. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured and numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the most of the living God. You see that scene right there of a people who have rebelled against God. Um, God now calls them my people because of the mercy of the cross of Jesus Christ. He brings them into this community called the church, and he calls them living stones that he's using to build up his church, to show off the wonder of his glory. I mean, that is shocking, isn't it? That should shock us. To the human eye, that should not look impressive. Like, I mean, really, God, you are building this magnificent uh, building and you're using idolatrous people? Really? To the human eye, what God is doing, what God is building, does not always look impressive. And we pick it up uh, from verse 6. This is how people uh, respond to uh, this Messiah. This is how people respond uh, to this living stone. Uh, verse 6 says, For it stands in Scripture, 
Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, so God in the prophet Isaiah promised that one day he's going to send off a king and he calls him the cornerstone uh, who's going to be and rule from Zion, uh, the holy mountain, and that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for those who believe, so rather, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those, the honor is, is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. Um, or rather, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Are you following? Are you checking with the metaphor that he's using? The metaphor of the stone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Um, God places him in Zion to build up his, uh, his house. Uh, and those who believe in him, that is the Christians, uh, those who believe will be honored if they trust in him and put their faith in him. But those who do not believe, in fact, this very stone that they've rejected will become indeed the cornerstone that God uses to build his house. Verse 8, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Uh, so Jesus uh, becomes um, a representation of what God has achieved. Look at what you thought as humans would do. You thought that rejecting God uh, would, be, um, would be the best thing for you. Uh, but God has raised Jesus from the dead, proving our stupidity uh, in rejecting him, proving that he is indeed uh, who God says he is, proving that he is indeed uh, the most ultimate thing that were to happen to history, in history. That's a lot of pictures, isn't it? Are you guys still with me? Shout amen if you're still with me. And now as we think about this building, uh, we're building the building. If you're missing it, Christ is the foundation. Uh, broken Christians form part of it. Amen? Uh, broken, sinful people form part of this structure. To the human eye, this looks rather not impressive. Um, as people who live in Midrand, we should have this picture um, there's a lot of construction around us. Uh, there's a lot of construction that's going to happen with chapter 3.5. Amen. Um, when I don't know if you've been to a construction site. How many of you have seen it? Uh, if you're driving around, you see the construction site. I often see just a bunch of rubble. Like, what is this? Is that a staircase? What's happening there? It doesn't look like something beautiful is going to come off of there, does it? Uh, it doesn't always look clear as to what the builder had in mind in building uh, the structure that they, that they had. It just looks like a bunch of rubble. And I think often when you look at the church, it does look sometimes pathetic and messy, like what is God doing with this bunch of people? Amen. If you've been to in the life of Christians, if you've been part of a life group where you are walking together with Christians, the Christian life can be messy at times, and often it can look like a building that does not have any structure. Um, but what Peter is saying is that one day God is going to remove those scarf holdings. Uh, God is going to present to us as we cut off the ribbon this wonderful picture of what he's been um, up to. Uh, and on that, um, on that building, uh, we'll see that there will be many bricks 
that we thought were not going to be there. Um, as we look at the foundation, we'll see many men like Peter who died at the hands of many of, of, um, of persecutors. We'll see many Christians built up together uh, who were uh, who were boiled alive because of their faith. We'll see guys like Justin Mata who held on, the heroes of the faith, who held on to the faith uh, just at the bottom of that building. Uh, guys who said, man, I believe that Jesus came back to life uh, and were killed for it. We'll see great African heroes there, Augustine, uh, who defended the church against, um, against um, heretics. They will be forming part of this awesome building uh, it didn't look impressive when some of them were being killed, but they are living stone uh, that, were, that was building up the church. There are many more um, that we are going to see, some of whose names we'll never know. There's Christians who've given up uh, their lives for the Christian faith, whose names we don't even know, who were faithful in their homes to preach the gospel in their homes, uh, who we'll never hear of, but they form part of that magnificent building. We'll hear guys like Nicholas Bengu, uh, who went around preaching the gospel in the township, calling Africa back to God. No doubt he probably had his struggles, but he will be there uh, as a living stone in God's amazing building, encouraging pastors to live modest lives uh, for the kingdom, for the sake of the growth uh, of the kingdom. There will be those heroes, but nonetheless, there will be ordinary men and women like you and me whose life are not so impressive, uh, whose struggles are so in their face uh, that they don't see themselves as part of what God is doing. Uh, people like you and I um, will be formed part of that. Uh, men and women who decided to follow Jesus. Uh, men, rather women in our own country, who decided to hold the fort when men went off to mines and said, we're going to hold on uh, to God. Um, they met every Thursday, those men, blessed their, those women, blessed their souls because their faith has kept the nation um, together. We'll see ordinary people like you and I sitting here this evening who struggle with so many things, who struggle with pornography, uh, who struggle with alcohol abuse, men and women uh, who don't look so impressive uh, in the eyes um, of the world, uh, some of whom are racist who don't even know it, but are coming together and being built together in the spiritual homes. Uh, some of whom who struggle with greed, uh, with wanting life to be about themselves. Now, this is not the kind of people. If I'm building a building, I'm not going to choose those people as. Uh, as as living stones. I'm not going to use them uh, and put them on my Instagram and say. Wow, look at this amazing, uh, amazing people. Yet God chooses people like you and me to show off the beauty. Why does beauty of his goodness, why does it look in, unimpressive to the world? Well, because you and I tend to focus on ourselves rather than on what God is doing. You see, the beauty of the gospel message is, in fact, in the fact that God uses broken and sinful people to build up his church, to build up uh, this living structure where people are going to look at him and say, man, there is an awesome God. If that guy can be a Christian, uh, then I want in. I want in on this uh, Christian faith. Now, we need to see ourselves. We need to see the church 
in the way that God sees them, sees it. And I think there's a couple of implications for us. Um, God elevates the standard of how we see the church. There's a couple of implications uh, for us. One is that we should get rid of uh, this notion in our heads uh, that there is such a thing as a perfect church. Amen. Um, you'd hear, I'm sure I fall into this category, um, us complaining about the church. Man, the church, this and this and that. Uh, we come around with um, a red pen and say, yes, like, if they can just do that better, you know, if they can do mercy and really take care of the poor better, that would be um, a perfect church. If they can do what I'm interested in, then that would be the perfect church. Um, but I like what Charles Spurgeon says. Uh, he says, um, there is no, the day you find the perfect church, uh, it will become imperfect the moment that you join it. Of course, the church is imperfect. It is made up of living stones like you and I. People who are changed and transformed by the gospel. People who God is not done with. Amen. Um, Steve Harvey used to have this comedy show. Uh, Don't listen to Steve Harvey, by the way. Uh, I I listened to him 12 years ago. Uh, He said, don't trip. He ain't through with me yet. Uh, it was a comedy special that he came up with, and he's like, I'm not cussing anymore. And every now and again, a cuss word will slip out. And he said, don't trip. He ain't through with me yet. God is not through with the church yet. So get rid of uh, your head this notion that there will be such a thing as a perfect church. So that's the first implication. The second implication, if you were to read um, this passage carefully, is that Peter doesn't speak of, yes, he speaks of individuals, living stones, but he speaks of living stones that are built, being built together into a spiritual house. Uh, in other words, there is something of a corporate unity to the church. In other words, you cannot be a Christian apart from other Christians. So get rid of, uh, get rid of this notion in your head that you can actually download the best sermons um, out there, listen to the best Christian music, and just be at your house, that is not the Christian faith. Uh, The Christian faith is uh, a building block. It is a a spiritual house that is being built together. You cannot realize your full potential and what God has called you as a Christian apart from the community uh, of believers. You not rumble. Do you remember Rambo? He'd go in and clean uh, and kill just about anyone. He was a one-man show. Uh, Christians are not there. They are a spiritual house being built um, together uh, to, uh, to bring uh, uh, glory to God. Now, having said that, I understand maybe that sometimes church hasn't always met your expectations, um, and sometimes you might have beef against church. If you do, Please talk to somebody about it. Bring it to Jesus. Uh, bring it to those people. Uh, bring your beef to them. Repent and believe in this corporate uh, community because that's what God has called us to. The third thing, the third implication is that there is no Instagram Christianity. Amen. There is no Instagram Christianity. Now, in our day and age, as we live as exiles, one of the things that's going to come at us is consumer Christianity. 
is this type of Christian that is cool, slick, and polished uh, that we're going to see on Instagram. There's nothing wrong with posting verses and stuff on Instagram. Gospel Coalition is an awesome website uh, for Christians. We have an Instagram page. Follow it. Uh, that's the side note. But um, Instagram can be rather polished, right? Um, and sometimes we may see it and think that is, that's the picture of what God is doing in our world. Well, we don't have an Instagram uh, Christianity. Because if we were to take the living stone himself, Jesus Christ, if you were to take snapshots of Instagram of his life, it is, it's not going to look pretty. It's not going to look pretty. If you look at history and what God has been doing, it is not a pretty sight. Being a Christian uh, is not something uh, that you kind of put up on Instagram. There is no Instagram uh, Christianity. It is a hard grind. The other implication is that uh, we see that in verses 11 and 12. Because God has called us into a life of holiness, uh, because God has called us as not my people to become my people, as nobody's to be part of his um, uh, amazing building project, it makes holiness um, ever more so important. Verse 11, Beloved, says Peter to these Christians, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, from the person, to abstain from the persons of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, Keep your conduct among Gentiles, that is among non-believers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify, your God, glorify God on the day of visitation. And he's going to unpack what that would look like uh, for these Christians. Uh, Peter has reminded them of their identity, and he now calls them to live a life of holiness because the world is watching, because they are a magnificent picture of what God is doing and working by his grace. Because we are rescued by grace, it makes holiness to be ever so much important. Uh, if you and I find ourselves living in some kind of sin, Paul, Peter would call us uh, to come uh, and repent. So that's the other implication. The last implication is for someone who might not be uh, a Christian listening to, um, to this. Uh, you and I live in the 21st century uh, which is anti-establishment, anti-institution. And when we hear the word church and when we think about so-called organized religion, uh, we have our opinions, don't we? I hate the church because of that, da, da, da. I hate the church because of this and this and that. And can I say I also sympathize with that kind of um, view. Uh, perhaps you have been had by people who call themselves Christians, people who are Christians, um, and I sympathize with that. But the weight of tonight's passage uh, will challenge you to not think of yourself as a judge over the church. Right? You're not the judge. Uh, in fact, we believe that one day Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. In fact, we believe that he is uh, indeed um, the cornerstone. He stands uh, as the foundation to, um, to all of life. So you and I are not judges uh, of God, rather He's our judge. So the tables are flipped. So if you are an, if you're not a Christian and you 
possibly thinking to yourself, man, this church thing is pathetic. Can I just encourage you um, to start thinking about uh, the implications of what you're saying? Uh, because you're talking about something that God purchased by his blood. Now, something that is filled with imperfect people, but no doubt is a perfect picture of the amazing grace um, of God, what God is calling you to. Uh, so as we think about ourselves, as we think about the local church this evening, let us have that picture. God is building. The foundation is Jesus. We are the living stones. We are imperfect. But nonetheless, God is uh, showing off a picture of his grace uh, to people. So let's think about ourselves in that way. Uh, as we step into the workplace, just think about it for a moment. You might be the only Christian that people interact with at work. So make it count. Make it count. Not by shoving Jesus in their throat, but by displaying grace to them. Or by being the first person to say, I'm sorry. I didn't do one, two, three. I'm sorry I spoke to you that way. By being the person who does your job to the best of your ability, showing off uh, the glory um, of our God. I think that's what God um, is calling us to. And I think whether you are in the workplace, you are in university, um, people are looking at us. Uh, People are looking at this thing that God is building Uh, And they think it looks pathetic. But you and I, let us show them, not that we're good, uh, but that God is good. That he would call sinful people like ourselves. Um, Paul Tripp has this wonderful thing that he says to parents. uh, And he says that you ought to be modeling the gospel to them. And I thought what that meant was that, man, you got to be this perfect parent. And that crushes you, doesn't it? If you're a parent, you fail so much. Uh, you fail so much at your, your job. But Paul Tripp reminds the parents that they ought to be mirrors of the grace of God, that they ought to be uh, people who are teaching the child that there is hope for people like you and I. I'm not perfect. I'll say I'm sorry, or I should say I'm sorry. Um, I, I'm made perfect by a holy God. Now, can you imagine if you take those kind of people, transformed by the grace of God, into workspaces, into university spaces, um, what kind of hope they will bring uh, to our world? Uh, what kind of transformation they will bring wherever God has placed us? God is calling us this evening uh, as a royal priesthood, as people who live sacrificial lives to him and who usher people uh, to the knowledge of God, who bring others and say, come uh, and taste what I've tasted. Come taste the grace that I have tasted. That is who you are if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, can I just urge you and encourage you uh, to come taste the grace that we have tasted uh, and form part of this magnificent building uh, that God is building. Why don't I pray for us uh, this evening? Father, as we um, look at your word, Um, We thank you that um, you are doing something, um, something that is magnificent. Um, We pray for our world, Lord, because um, often we reject the message of the cross. Um, We reject you. Um, 
so gruesome is our rejection that we uh, shook our fa- fist against you uh, in your face and uh, chose to crucify your son, Jesus Christ. Yet for our sake, um, he uh, took our sin upon himself on that cross, uh, that you raised him to life, Lord. And this evening when we speak about the church, uh, please remind us that this is based uh, upon uh, his resurrection, that indeed he lives uh, uh, in history. Indeed, he uh, is a living stone uh, that you have placed and have founded your church in. Lord, as we think about this institution, your church, and our relationship to it, I pray that you'd give us a big picture of what you're doing, that indeed it is the hope of the world, uh, that we would not see the imperfections, but that we would see the perfect grace that you pour out on those imperfections, and that we would see something of the greatness of your glory and of your gospel. So I pray for us, even as we struggle against sin in this exile, I pray that you'd give us the strength to live Christian lives so that when people look at us, uh, they would see uh, the grace of God at work, uh, that they would want to come taste what we have tasted. So please change our posture when it comes to church um, and the gospel. Uh, Please make us see ourselves as the hope of this world. This we pray in your name and for our good. Amen.